Hello there and welcome to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind Peterborough chapter. And if you'd like to get to know more about the work of our chapter and what we do, or CCB, uh, the Canadian Council of the Blind in general, then send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. That's ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article about a new strategic plan being um, celebrated by the March of Dimes of Canada. And uh, so I thought I'd uh, get hold of someone from the March of Dimes and kind of bring us up to date, uh, starting uh, way back in the 50s and bring us up to date with what's going on now. And I had the pleasure of chatting with Christina Sperling who is the uh, coordinator for their after stroke program and uh, also is uh, really into communications. So here's my chat with her. Well, first of all, uh, Christina, thanks so much for being with us on the program. Thank you for having me. Let's go back to the beginning of uh, the March of Dimes, and, and how did it come into being in the first place? That's a very great question. There's a long, long history that I'll be able to share with you. Okay. Um, yeah, March of Dimes Canada is one of Canada's largest not-for-profit organizations, and we, as you know, I'm sure, support people living with a disability. Um, we were founded over 70 years ago, so this year we actually celebrated our 70th year. Really? Our, yeah, we did. It was quite It was quite lovely. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, our original mission was to find a cure for po the polio virus. Mm -hmm. So in the late 1940s and early 1950s, um, the marching mothers went around across Canada to collect dimes. They went door to door and they collected dimes. And they were trying to raise funds to support uh, the development of a vaccination. So interesting, the, the irony of where we are today with COVID. Yeah. Uh, we're, not, we're not going door-to-door -to, -door to pick up signs, um, but, uh, you know, just how history replays itself, but uh, different virus, obviously, but, yeah, and, and due to that and, and a lot of different efforts, um, a vaccination was introduced um, in 1955. So Dr. Jonas Salk um, was able to uh, um, provide an effective, um, an effective vaccination that was distributed quite quickly at that time as well because they wanted to get it out there. So around, yeah, around that time, 1955, 1960, between that time, we were able to really start to eradicate, eradicate um, polio. So with the, the threat of polio um, greatly diminished, and the March of Dimes uh, was able to kind of move in a bit of a different direction, and they started to fund centers for people um, who had already contracted disease um, and implement some early programming that focused mostly on rehab and job training uh, for those individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as we were moving forward from the 1960s, the organization had grown in both size and mandate, um, and we started to see an opportunity to serve a broader need 
for adults with physical disabilities. So in 2006, we expanded our offerings. Um, so, so sorry, 1960, we were able to expand then our, our mandate to be everyone with physical disabilities as opposed to just those that had contracted the polio disease. Uh-huh. So then that takes us fast forward to 2006. Um, and that's when we decided that, you know what, we should be expanding what we're offering beyond Ontario, because all of that was happening in Ontario. Oh, really? I didn't under I didn't realize that. I didn't yeah, all of that, that was happening in Ontario. So even though the marching mothers were occurring across Canada, um, it was actually a lab, I believe, in Toronto that um, was started to manufacture the vaccine. Nice. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so in 2006, we expanded our offerings to uh, people with dis- physical disabilities all across Canada, and we, that's when we registered our name to be March of Dimes Canada. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So since then, um, we've evolved to become a recognized leader in disability design, uh, service design, sorry, delivery, and supporting people at home, at work, and in the communities. Um, and based on our longstanding history with our roots, you know, Based on a, a public health pandemic that's occurred before, um, I can I can definitely certainly say that we firsthand know that there's a need for the disability community, excuse me, to feel safe and supported, um, especially in a time like this, like we're living in right now, such as COVID. I'll say. I'll say. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I can remember. Um, I would have been probably six or seven. And uh, I, you know, first started to hear about the March of Dimes, and and of course we all had to go for polio shots. Yep. And then in uh, 1981, the International Year of Persons with Disabilities. Yep. Um, I did a 10-month grant with a lady uh, in um, Wellington, Dufferin Simcoe, as it was back then. And we did disability awareness programs for all the schools. That's amazing. Yeah, so, and that was through the March of Dimes. That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. so great to hear. Love, love hearing stories like that. Yeah. Oh, it, it was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. And, of course, when it got to the, the point that um, it was getting uh, kind of boring for us, we would figure out, okay, how can we turn this around to add a little bit of uh, pizzazz or something to it, you know. So, yeah, it was uh, it um, definitely did uh, good things for our creativity skills. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, did you, uh, did the March of Dimes also end up working with uh, post-polio syndrome uh, people who are suffering from that? Absolutely. We do continue to do so today, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, we have we do continue to have our post-polio program. Um, it has a variety of different things that occur, actually, a variety of different activities. So prior to COVID, there were uh, groups that got together all across, the, all across Canada. Um, I can't remember how many groups there are off the top of my head. I apologize. Um, I want to say at least 20, I think. Okay. So, the, yeah, in Ontario especially, but there's also um, some in B.C. and other provinces as well. So when COVID hit, um, we actually pivoted all of our programs and services to um, virtual. So with that, our polio group also moved to virtual. And it's interesting because of that, 
um, all the polio survivors across Canada were able to come together in one forum to be able to meet and discuss and talk about, you know, the latest research or things that are happening in that, in that world. Yeah. And they love it. They love it, they love it, they love it. It's so fantastic to see because they really love the opportunity to connect with individuals outside of their province, outside of their region. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really been incredible. Um, I, I think, well, not I think, I know for sure that we're, that is one program that we're going to maintain online. Good. And when we can get back in person, like the groups that do want to continue to get together um, in person can do so, but they'll always be this option as well. So they can do both, essentially. They can do both. Um, the great thing, too, is we've been able to um, connect with individuals like the polio community in the United States, and I believe in Australia as well, we've been able to connect with some individuals there as well. So it's just been a really great forum for, um, for that. So because it's our history, we're not going to let go of that. Like, we definitely want to continue to support um, individuals who are impacted by the virus and, and, and continue to do what we can for them. Is, is polio still active in certain countries? It is, unfortunately. Um, of course, I don't know off the top of my head which countries, but there definitely is. Uh, it is still active. Um, but it's not, like, it's under control in majority of countries because of the vaccination, right? So yes. it would be, um, of course, less fortunate uh, countries that, um, that you would see the higher numbers in. Sure. And it uh, almost never rears it ha- its head here. No, like, it's just like everything, right? Like, everything that's come about, it never really ever completely goes away, but you get it under control yeah. so that it doesn't become a pandemic like we're experiencing right now. Thank goodness. Yeah, we don't need that, that's for sure. Well, it just goes to show um, the importance of vaccinations. Like, history has shown us that they do work, yes. um, and they do help keep things under control. So, Yes, that's right. I was talking with uh, um, a, uh, an amateur radio operator, or a ham, yeah. and he is uh, from China, and he is um, quite convinced that herbal remedies uh, are the way to go as far as uh, COVID-19 is concerned. And I, I, I tried to tell him that uh, that's fine if you want to... Um, experiment with that for healing, but as far as vaccines, I don't think that you can dispute the fact that you have to have the virus in some form um, to make vaccines work, or bacterium, whatever it is. Yeah, I would agree that I think science is science, and science is proven through history to to help with vaccinations, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people, of course, do what you feel is you need to do for yourself and your healing and your and your own health. Yes, hundred percent. But um, I think in terms of vaccinations in general, I think we've we've seen with science that they do work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, does um, the March of Dimes have a presence in most communities across Canada? Do you think now? Most communities, there's definitely areas that we would like to get in um, more so. So there's definitely some of the provinces that we just have minimal in. Mm-hmm. Um, like Manitoba, we have uh, a few different programs and staff in that in that province particularly. Um, Ontario is probably the biggest, uh, our biggest presence simply because this is where we originated. Yes. Um, 
Alberta is another uh, province that we're really trying to, to move into. We do have some staff and on some programming that's offered there, but we'd like to see that grow. Mm-hmm. Um, BC as well, we do have uh, actually a substantial, it's probably the second largest area that we have programs and services that are offered. Um, but we, our intention um, is to continue to grow, to continue to get into areas where individuals don't have access to resources, tools, um, programming services. That, that is our intent. It's just, it takes time to, to grow and to move, right? So, um, yeah, we're definitely trying to get from coast to coast to coast, like in all areas. Yeah. And, and you have a um, program for people who have had strokes, don't you? I do, we do, and that is that's my baby, actually. Yes, it is my baby. So, yeah, we uh, we've been doing stroke services um, and stroke programming for like twenty years, like at least twenty years. So we've been in this business for a long time, but we saw an opportunity to extend what we were doing and offer more support. So, our after stroke program was enhanced, and we launched that enhanced program in June this year. Actually, very good. Um, so previously, we had a hospital visitation program where um, a stroke survivor who's along in their journey becomes a volunteer for the program and uh, goes back into the hospital to visit with new stroke survivors and their families. Mm-hmm. And in that process, they talk to them and just tell them about their experience, provide some hope, um, and yeah, and then tell them a little bit about our after-stroke program. So now we've expanded that. We have after-stroke coordinators across the country that um, will offer personalized support. So they'll meet, they'll talk with the stroke survivor once they've been discharged home. Uh-huh. So um, when, the, when the, the patient or the stroke survivor gets discharged from hospital, they're referred to our program. They can either be self-referred or um, the hospitals that we have agreements with um, do a referral to us. And uh, then our coordinators of after stroke call um, the families and uh, have an initial discussion we eventually will do a needs assessment. It's a validated needs assessment with the family and the stroke survivor. And we establish goals. So with the stroke survivor, and they determine actually what their goals are because it needs to be meaningful for them. Yeah. Um, and then we help them find ways to achieve their goals. So we have lots of stuff that's available at March of Dimes Canada. So we have lots of programs and services. But if we don't have it, because we know we're not everything, um, we help them find it in their, in their community. Okay. Well, we, yeah, we'll do some navigation support as well, and we'll find the things that they need to access in order for them to um, move forward with their recovery. Do um, and then as they continue to uh, move through their own journey, um, then we look for opportunities for them to engage um, in meaningful interactions within their own community. So that could be volunteering themselves, or we have a lot of uh, peer support groups that exist. Um, so there's a lot of different areas, and we want to make sure that we are supporting stroke survivors um, throughout the entire journey. So right from when they get, they have a stroke, and meeting them in the hospital prior to discharge, all the way through until um, they're able to try and help others as well. Right, yeah. Um, Do you have funding if someone needed equipment or needed their... A home um, renovated so that it would be more accessible. Can can they talk to you about that sort of thing as well? Yeah, totally. So we have um, a couple different programs. So we have a home and vehicle modification program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funded by the government of Ontario, and there is an elig- there is an eligibility and a form that needs to be filled out. Um, but there is there is access to funding through that process. 
Um, currently, actually, the, the Gutlay, as I mentioned, it exists in um, Ontario only, but we are looking to advocate to have that program expanded beyond Ontario because we see the need. Um, so that's the Home and Vehicle Modification Program. Mm-hmm. We also have our Assisted Devices Program. So this also helps with um, other types of devices, like mobility devices. It could be a wheelchair or other types of devices where uh, we try to find funding to be able to find somebody the equipment that they need. And that as well, there's information on our website that people can, can check out, but there's, um, there's a, an eligibility process for that as well, and people can apply for funding on that one. Okay, that's ah. great. Now, what, speaking of uh, your website, what is your website? It is, and I'm just going to make sure that I give you the right one. Okay. Marchofdimes.ca. <laughs> Marchofdimes.ca, Okay. Do you know if you have any active service going on here in the Peterborough area? I do. I definitely do. So we have a few things going on. Um, so first we have, I, I, just to go back to the after-stroke program, so uh, we, we are, um, the, the after-stroke program is available in um, Peterborough Region Health Center, Regional Health Center. Okay. So we have the hospital visitation program happening there with referrals coming from there. So. We do have after-stroke uh, coordinators that will support stroke survivors who are in that hospital um, that, that are being discharged home. So hopefully we're getting those referrals coming in. I know we're doing um, the peer visitation program virtually right now in that hospital. Uh, we have a volunteer that does, there's um, tablets that are used so that our volunteers can then connect with the stroke survivors in hospital without us physically going in. Uh, but we do hope to have in-person visitations occurring in the new year. Terrific. So, for the after-stroke, we have that. Um, we also have the, we have the Life After-Stroke Peterborough Support Group. So it, uh, it meets um, on a monthly basis. It's the fourth Wednesday of every month, uh, and they meet from 1 to 2.30 p.m. And they also have a website if anyone is interested in checking that out. They're always looking for new members. Uh-huh. Um, so that website is Life After-Stroke org. Okay. Yeah, and they do, they do, like, they offer support, education, and participation opportunities. So they get mm-hmm. together as a group, and they do lots of fun things. Um, checking out the website, there's some really great photos of different activities that they have engaged in. That's terrific. There's nothing yeah. like peer support, is there? No, honestly, peer support is such um, a valuable thing. Like, I really, like, I... I, as I mentioned, I oversee the after-stroke program, so we are really looking at our, our peer support programs across the country to make sure that they are giving back the, the way they should be but based on what people are looking for because there is so much value. Like, the, the literature shows it. People tell you that. It's part of the best practices um, that are established through Heart and Stroke Foundation Canada. So, I mean, it, it's definitely known that peer support is really important, um, and we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many tips and tricks that people who have been there can offer. Uh, yeah, actually, before I get to that, we do have one more program in Peterborough that oh. I wanted to tell you about. Yeah? Can I do that first? Is that okay? Oh, definitely. I want people to be aware of what exists out there. So um, we have a phase and communication disabilities program. So it's been actually in that area for about 15 years. Okay. Right now we're serving 30 clients, about 30 clients a week, and these are people living with a communication disability. So aphasia is one of the many that we see, uh, and that's a condition 
could affect a person's ability to communicate. So that could be speech or writing and understanding language, uh, and it can be verbal and written. So um, the what this program offers is um, different, different, different types of activities and sessions that help improve communication, enhance quality of life, um, support independence, encourage participation in community life, and provide communicative uh, access. So uh, definitely those types of programs are accessible, and I just wanted to make sure I highlighted that because it is a program we have in Ontario, and it's another program we want to expand further out, but it's great to see that it's accessible um, in Peterborough. And how would, they, um, how would people connect with that? If they go to the marchofdimes.ca um, website and they look up um, aphasia and communication, like they will find it. There's um, there, and there's definitely lots of information there, and then they can definitely access someone to talk to. Okay, all right, and and they can access someone here in Peterborough. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, terrific. I uh, understand from an article that I read not long ago that you're also, the March of Dimes is also kind of rebranding itself uh, for the the time, I guess. Eh? Do you want to talk to us a little about that? Absolutely. So we just launched our new strategic plan. That's, that's what just happened, which is very exciting. Um, we, we, over the last year, year and a half, I guess, over the last year and a half, uh, we engaged in a really uh, comprehensive process um, to really understand the needs, the barriers, the challenges that um, people with disabilities experience. So we, we consulted with over 1,000 people, or nearly, sorry, nearly 1,000 people, and that would include people with disabilities, their families, their caregivers, and other partners that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that because we wanted to um, build our strap plan on their voice and their experiences. So we don't know what they need, they know what they need, and we want to we want to hear from them and do our best to do that. So, based on that, um, we have developed our new strategic plan, which has just been launched. I think it was launched October twenty first, mm-hmm. and it is called Champion Equity Empowerability. And in it, we we've now identified four focus areas that we want to concentrate on for people living with a disability and their families. Uh-huh. That they they are based on what they told us is most important to them and where the gaps exist. So, uh, if, is it okay if I tell you about the four focus oh, areas? I was just about to ask. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, so the first focus area is about ensuring that we enable the best start for children, youth, and families. Um, so, uh, we're going to help understand the needs of this group and amplify their voices and create responsive programs to give them a good beginning. So. We really want to be there and support them through their financial, practical, and emotional challenges because those are quite profound when you have a child or a youth that has a disability. Yes. The next one is about empowering independence at home and in the community. So what we heard is that people want and desire um, to live a practical, everyday life, that they can do things on a whim and don't have to plan for everything. They want to live independently. Yes. Um, yeah, right? So, so we're going to extend our services and programs in communities across Canada so people with disabilities can access the supports they need to be independent wherever they are. So that's our commitment um, to independence at home and in the community. In terms of the third one, it's about building opportunities for um, individuals to lead active, healthy, and connected lives. Um, so we see every life, every life should be rich and engaged and full 
of engaging experiences. So in order for us to do that, we're going to help create better, more inclusive experiences for people with a disability, um, giving them the resources they need to live healthy, meaningful lives, and then offer enriching opportunities for learning, growth, and connection. And then finally, the last focus area is about supporting individuals in gaining financial security. So people with disabilities are one of the most economically disadvantaged groups in Canada. Um, the literature shows that. Um, they live with strikingly low employment rates and lower personal incomes, um, which decline as disability increases, which is super unfortunate. So um, we'll work with people living with disabilities to support their employment ambitions and advocate forcefully for a livable income. So those are the four major areas that we're going to be focusing our work, and we have a lot of great um, initiatives that are already underway that are going to help us start to get things moving in these four focus areas. So you're kind of with people from uh, uh, the cradle to the grave, so to speak, aren't you? That's what we're trying to be, yes. Yeah, absolutely, that's what we want to do. Um, we think if you can give support early on, then it's only going to be helpful in the long term. And the more people we have engaged in our mission and our, and our vision with us, um, then the more voices are at the table really to help push what we're trying to do forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine that uh, there's all sorts of information on your website about these four areas. There is. The, the strategic plan is available right on our homepage right now, so people can access it. There's a lot of great um, information. Uh, it talks about some of the statistics that we pulled from um, our engagement with our stakeholders those, um, over the last year and a half, and then what really drove us to, to identify those short focus areas. So I would highly encourage people to go and look at the, um, at, at the plan, because it's it's a good read. It really isn't overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, it's full of color, and I think it's been just really well put together um, so that uh, anybody can go to it and get information that will be helpful to them to see what we're doing. Terrific. That's good. And that website, again, is? Um, March of Dimes, so no spaces, marchofdimes.ca. Wonderful. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on while we're speaking? Uh, I think the only, well, there's maybe two things. The, lo the one thing, I didn't mention the Afterstroke website, so I might throw that in there. Oh, yes. Plug. So it's afterstroke.ca, so it's kind of simple as well. So afterstroke.ca, no spaces as well. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just think uh, if anyone has any questions, I encourage people to please call us if you know anybody who might benefit from our services, please have them come and check us out. Uh, we have coordinators. We have lots of staff across the country that want to help. So we're here, um, and we want to listen to what the needs are, and we want to do whatever it takes to help people with what they need. So, yeah. do, do you have a number here in Peterborough, or do they need to call? I, I take it I'm, I'm talking to you from Toronto, am I? I'm in Toronto, but it's it just doesn't mean anything, to be honest. I mean, our national office is in Toronto. Um, I think the website's probably... I'm going to actually go to the website very quickly. Just okay. To, let me see. Because there's different programs that are accessible out there. It's probably easiest, depending on what people are looking for, to go to the website and then find the program if they're looking for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think that's probably the easiest. All right. 
Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, and uh, all the best of luck. I, I have uh, kind of a, a, a soft spot in my heart for the March of Dimes because I, it was only 10 months that I worked uh, for uh, you, but uh, it, was, uh, it was such fun, and I really enjoyed it. So. Oh, great to hear. I'm happy to hear that, Devin. Yeah, and that was all the way back in 81. <laughs> oh, that's scary. That's 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm glad that you're having fun, right? Oh, definitely it does. Yes. It does. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you today, Devin. Um, I think it was just a lovely opportunity for us to be able to tell you about everything that we have. So thank you for, for making the time for me. Okay, and it was so exciting. Uh, the, what, the progress that is being made and that sort of thing. Yeah. So you take good care and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Devin. Have a great evening. You too. Okay. Bye. bye for now. You may recall that a couple of weeks ago, I promised that we would play something about diabetes because November 14th is World Diabetes Day. And also, this is the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin, and it is a Canadian discovery, I must add. So I dug back into the archives and found this address that was given to the East Peterborough Lions Club on November 23rd, 2018. And the lady speaking is Kalpapathic from Diabetes Canada. Thank you again, Lions Always Supported, and I know one of the pillars is diabetes. And we were very um, fortunate that you work with us on that, so we thank you for doing that. Um, so everybody here, do you know about diabetes, or are we aware of the topic? Do we know? Yeah? Overall, perfect. I'll be asked, I'll be giving you a test in the end, okay? <laughs> so just making sure. All right. So diabetes is very serious. Statistics right now: 11 million Canadians are currently have diabetes or pre-diabetes. Um, 14 million Canadians will have diabetes or pre-diabetes by 2027, and one Canadian is diagnosed with diabetes every three minutes. And these numbers are not decreasing. This is an epidemic, it's just growing and growing. 1.5 million Canadians, however, have type two diabetes and they don't even know about it, okay? So in a nutshell, what is diabetes? It is a disease that occurs when your blood sugar is too high. It happens when your body cannot produce enough insulin or cannot properly use the insulin that it produces. It is a chronic, often debilitating disease. Types of diabetes. So there is type one, type two, pre-diabetes, and then there's gestational diabetes. So we're gonna start off with pre-diabetes. So pre-diabetes is, in my words, it is like a stop sign. So you're at the level where you're gonna have to make that decision that do I wanna change my diet? Do I wanna exercise? And you know, if my stop sign's this way, if I go ahead, I'm gonna be type two, or do I wanna go back and say I never got it, right? So this is where we say that pre-diabetes is your decision-making stage. 
is that's when you decide what you want to do, right? So basically blood glucose levels are higher than normal, but, but below the level to be diagnosed. And of course, there is a higher chance of developing type two. Um, unfortunately, there may not be any symptoms, so when you're doing those annual checks, you're always checking for sugar levels, right, at that time. <clears throat> type 1 diabetes, about 10% of people with type diabetes have type 1. People with type 1 must inject insulin multiple times a day. So this is more evident with the youth, right? Um, in children and young adults, unfortunately, these kids are living with it for the rest of their lives. Now, type two, about 90% of people with diabetes have type two. Um, this is when the pancreas does not work as properly. And again, it may be prevented or it can be delayed. Gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes is usually occurs during pregnancy, affects 3.7% of all women, all pregnant women, sorry. Just in, uh, unfortunately cannot be prevented. So once you've had it during your pregnancy, you kind of continue it till you give birth. Um, and also it places women at a high risk of type two. So the stat on, the, on that that they say is when a, when a mom gives birth to a baby that's 10 pound, nine pounds or over, she's at a greater risk of having type two diabetes. So risk factor of type two diabetes. Having a family member with diabetes. So I know in my case, I've had grandparents, so that would be one of the reasons. Um, as I mentioned, the baby's birth weight over nine pounds, having gestational diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, being overweight, socioeconomic status, and of course, environment. Now, if you recall that one stat that I told you earlier, one in three Canadians is diagnosed every three minutes. In some um, ethnic backgrounds, it's one in two. So these could be the Aboriginal, the Hispanic, South Asian, Asian and African. So it's even higher. So some of the signs and symptoms that we'd like you to watch out for, um, that you want to visit your doctor is, so with diabetes, you might want to, you need to urinate often, you're feeling very thirsty, rapid changes in weight, feeling very tired, blurred vision, many infections, cuts and bruises are slower to heal, or tingling or loss of feeling in your hands and feet. Now, the one that I want to emphasize, feeling very tired. So as we are aging, we think that feeling very tired is because we're aging. And I hope to God that's the case, but it's always better to check, right? Because that's what we always think, like, oh, I'm aging, I'm tired. No, you want to make sure that you check. So type 1 diabetes, symptoms appear early, as I told you, with children. So they, they know that, you know, children are, like I said, they have type 1, so the symptoms are coming at an earlier stage. And for, with the type 2, often there's no symptoms. Um, or they may be slow to develop. And many people, like I said, 1.5 million Canadians right now, they have it, they don't even know that they have it. That's because they haven't had their blood glucose testing. The impact of diabetes is from head to toe. So 30% of strokes, leading cause of blindness, 40% of heart attacks, 
50% of kidney failures requiring dialysis, 70% of all non-traumatic leg and foot amputations. So now that I've scared you a little bit about it, what can we do to make this better? Well, we want to make start off with making a little bit of a change in our lifestyles. We want to start with our food, which is obviously the most important thing. Um, healthy food choices. Um, does everybody here know about the Canada Food Guide that's available online? So Diabetes Canada uh, supports that food guide. And so if you need to know what you need consumption daily, you need to go visit that um, food site, I mean Canada Food Guide. But what we say is a show of hands here. So vegetables, we want to have these many vegetables, as many as we can fill in our hands. Grains and fruits can be about that much. Meat and alternatives, we need that many. Fats and oils. My diagram says this, which is absolutely not right. I say it's only, I would say, a teaspoon. If you can go without it, even better, right? And again, um, you know, we were having that conversation, right? Just recently, like here when we were talking, everything has to be moderate. I mean, you can have, a, you can have some cake, but it can't be every night of the week, right? We're not saying that you cannot have anything, but you can't have it every day. You can't just do whatever you want. You can't have all the sugar drinks, or you can't have a beer. You can't do that every single day. You want to have the healthy choices. So, <laughs> can't have that. Um, so the top five healthy um, eating tips, we want you to have three meals per day. And now when I say these three meals per day, they have to, you have to ensure that they're not more than six hours apart. So if you have your breakfast at eight o'clock, six hours you should be having your lunch, six hours you should be having your dinner. You don't wanna go more than that window. And what, what even works better, I feel, is do a, a bigger breakfast, a bigger lunch, but then you have a light dinner. But if that doesn't work, I know everybody's schedule is different, so we want to go, you know, a morning breakfast. Um, when I say a breakfast, I mean you could have like uh, porridge, oatmeal, something very, you know, nutritious, not just bacon and eggs and everything, all the works every day. Um, and then three hours later, maybe have a fruit, like a snack, a yogurt, maybe a granola bar, right? And then you have your lunch, and then three hours maybe have something else, and then you have your dinner. So what we're trying to say is we want to make sure that your sugars are leveled. We don't want your sugars, for example, if you eat at 8 o'clock in the morning and then you eat at 5 o'clock in the evening, your sugar is going to spike. And then the other thing you end up doing is you end up eating more than you're supposed to. So you're binge eating, which you don't want that, right? So that's one of the things we recommend. Also, each meal have three of the four key food groups. Again, that's on the Canada Food Guide. Now, I love this one. Eat high fiber foods. Does anybody know why we eat high fiber foods? <coughs> Give me the obvious answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a, uh, very good. But the high fiber foods will also absorb more sugar. So it's a great way of eating that. If you can eat more, even better. Um, again, it's not a buffet every day. We should stick to portion sizes. We can only, we need to make sure that we're eating enough as much as we need, right? 
and of course make lower fat choices. So once we're done with the eating, if you all have got the PhD now, we're going to go with exercise. So what we recommend at Diabetes Canada, 20 minutes a day. Everybody has 20 minutes a day, correct? We all watch Netflix for what, 40 minutes, 50 minutes? How much is a Grey's Anatomy? Well, how long is that show? Or, yeah, right? So we all have, we can't say we don't have those 20 minutes. So what we suggest is start off slow, even 20 minute walking. If you don't, can't walk for 20 minutes straight, do 10 minutes. Take a break, do another 10 minutes. But make sure that you do the 20 minute. Resistant exercises are great for exercising many major muscle groups and do not put extra pressure on your joints. So that's another way of exercising. And it's, like I said, start slow. I don't want everybody starting to run around now, right? There's lots of space here, we could do it, but let's not do that. <laughs> so Diabetes Canada, our vision, a world free of the effects of diabetes, and our mission, helping those affected by diabetes to live healthy lives, preventing the onset and consequences of diabetes, and discovering a cure. So, does anybody have any questions so far? Yes. Okay, uh, you have your supper at 6. Mm -hmm. Should you have a snack before bed? So, that depends on what you've had for supper. Okay. So that's the key, all right? All right, that's, that's the trick there because if you already had a high sugar meal or a high carb meal, you've already exceeded your allotted amount for that meal, it doesn't make sense to have a snack. Okay. But, if, yeah, but if you, people do get hungry, ideally they say there should be a gap between your last food and when you go to bed. You've heard that because a lot of that remains undigested. So if you're going to have to have something and you can't, you know, stretch it, then that's where you have to have something super healthy, whether it's maybe a few nuts or Kalpa mentioned like a low-fat, low-sugar yogurt, right? You don't want to have uh, ice cream or, you know, things like that. So fruits are tricky because some fruits are low in sugar, but many, many fruits are very high in sugar, you know, like watermelon, mangoes, cherries. Berries are usually a good option too. You know, a handful of berries. Um, but like Cal also mentioned, it's portions. Like if I take, you know, a fistful, maybe eight or 10 berries versus a big bowl, I'm gonna exceed my sugar allotment. So if you're gonna have a snack, pick some healthy snacks and very small portions, especially right before bed, all right? Another thing I think uh, you should be drinking lots of water, as long as you're not a water, uh, some people are on a water uh, limit because of kidney issues or blood pressure issues. If you're not on a water-restricted diet, a great way to eliminate sugars and toxins out of your system is constantly be drinking water. You had a question. Yes. Uh, when, you do the, when they do the general blood test, it doesn't show that you're diabetic or not. So, so the way the testing works, there's two tests, okay? So the one, the, the test that you're talking about is a random glucose. So let's say I just brought in a meter and I checked your blood sugars right now. No, no, no. I mean, like, I've been tested for years for, for different things, eh? And then I had to go for a special diabetic test. Yeah. Test. Did, did, you, did you drink a solution? Is that the test you're talking about? No, 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 no. It's just that when, when you go to the doctor, they, they usually do uh, a general test. 
And then years later, I got, well, I got tested. I got tested when I found out my mom was diagnosed with diabetes. So they sent me for a diabetes blood test. Okay, so why is there such a difference between the two tests? There's two tests. There's a, well, that's why you're going to let me finish, but there's a random blood glucose test, which is instant, but then there's an A1C test, which is your three-month average. The three-month average is the one that will determine whether you're diabetic or not, all right? All right? Because the three-month average doesn't depend on what you had today or tomorrow or yesterday, but it's an average of 90 days of your sugars over that. So if, you're, if your three-month average is over seven, then you're at a point where you're diabetic. Well, you see, because what I was trying to say is that I was being tested, my blood was being tested every year for, for normally, and then all of a sudden, when my mom was recovered diabetic, I went for a diabetic test, and I was diabetic fasting test, and discovered I was diabetic then, and they claimed that because of that test, I was diabetic for years. So why was it discovered with the other test, the other blood test that I was doing all these years? It's a different test. Yeah, it's two different tests. I don't know. I can't comment on the specifics of your results. I don't have them. But there's only two tests, all right? One is a random, which is instant, and the other one's a three-month average. I don't know how they interpreted your test. I can't. If I had the results, I could comment on that. That's what so I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The diabetic test compared to what they normally do every year. Before, yeah. Before it, it's, it's not really, it's not really a diabetic test. It's an A1C test. It's, it's not a diabetic test because not most of the people that take that test aren't diabetic. But the three-month average that I'm talking about, the A1C test, that gives you the maximum amount of information. A random test doesn't always detect diabetes. You may have a good fasting blood sugar and it's fine, but then you could have really high peaks during the day that go undetected because you did a fasting test. So the, the one test, the fasting test you do maybe once a year or whatnot, didn't pick up on it, but usually after you turn 40, they will do an A1C. If your doctor's on the ball, he'd be doing an A1C every year. And if he didn't, then your doctor just dropped the ball and didn't do it. They should be doing that, all right? I hope that provides some clarity. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sorry. Now there's a mouse. Yeah, it's her Frank it's okay. loose. It's okay. It's not gonna it's okay. eat you. It's okay. Go guard check. Go ahead. He's more... Oh, he's going away that if way. If he comes close to Frankie, oh, Frankie will do it. Yeah, maybe sure he's going to Yes. Yeah, please go ahead. I have to move once you have a Oh. You didn't break the dog. Devin? Yeah, Devin. Yeah, my question is, I have a friend who was diagnosed with uh, type 2 diabetes and uh, was um, tried on several medications, right. metformin and that sort of thing, and finally she got to the point where she is now taking uh, two types of insulin right. a day. Is she type 1 or type 2? She's still type 2. Yeah. All right. She's just not, she can't be controlled with oral agents. So she's put on insulin, but based on her timeline, she's considered type 2. Okay. All right, yeah. Wow. I was diagnosed as type 2 
because I was a little bit bigger than now, like 100 pounds up here. Oh, wow. Diet and exercise, and I don't take any medication at all. Very good. I'm on four medications. Wow. Uh, nothing. Very That's good. Amazing. That's amazing. Well done, Don. That's very rare, right, sir? Because I've been doing this for, I've been a pharmacist for 25 years. I think I've had two or three people in that situation. What I would like to do is say, you're no longer diabetic. type of diabetic. Yeah. My insurance leaving the country yeah. is cheaper. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, once you've had it, the standard is under 400. Sadly, you're that's right. right. Yeah, well, you're right. But good for you. That's very, we don't see that that often. I had another lady that lost about 80 pounds, and she went off all her oral agents, but it doesn't happen that often. No. Sure. All right. Well, so you're done? Oh, I'm just going to pass this. Okay, sure. Okay. Has anybody got any other, any other questions? What's the worst fruit you can eat? Watermelon's one of the worst. I don't like Mangoes are up there, too. I just bought mangoes. Oranges depends on the size, because you see oranges, like, you can get mini tangerines, and they, they're actually really good because they have very... They don't have, but as you get to the larger oranges, they obviously care. And orange juice can be terrible for you, like up to 40, 40 grams of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just bought the little guy. Yeah, if you buy those little, uh, uh, yeah, the, the little, uh, if you want to just get that citrus flavoring, you can get little mini tangerines. They're very tiny, so you get the craving out of the way, but they have very, they don't have a lot of sugar. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was talking to a lady on the weekend, and she was saying that she has trouble with things because she has to pay so many of her uh, right. diabetes um, medications. Medication, sure. Thank you. Is there no help out there? There is help, actually. I don't know uh, who she deals with, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pass out before we leave. I'm gonna pass you guys a calendar, which has our store information. So if you want her to, she doesn't have to physically come in. She can call me. There's a thing called the Trillium uh, Drug Plan. I don't know if anyone. That's what I'm on. Yeah, a lot of people. If you're not 65. I, I say that people are between about 45 and 65 and don't have coverage. They're in what I call no man's land. Yeah. Because they have such a long way to go till they get coverage, but a lot of chronic disease states can occur in that 15 to 20 year window. That's right. And diabetes being a big one. So it's based on your income okay. and uh, your family size. So I can, ex I can kind of uh, go over that with her. That may be of some assistance. And the other thing is if you're diabetic, um, there's also, uh, you can, I don't know how fluent she is, how good she is with computers, but you can go online and there's, uh, through, this, through the Diabetes Canada and the work they do with some of the diabetes uh, in, I think there's one on Rink Street here in Peterborough. There's a form that you can get. But you're allowed up to $500 in uh, not oral medications, but like things you need, whether it's strips, lancets, if she's taking insulin or her pen needles, there would be up to $500 coverage on that that you can apply for. So there are ways to get some help, all right? All right. Okay, now there used to be, we used to get a lot of requests for help with the pumps. Right. And they're pumps are covered now, they give you a monthly credit directly into your account. So I think that's, uh, I'm not going to say it's a non-issue, but it's not the issue that it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, all right? They've really stepped up to the plate for most people on that. We have a few patients at our store that are on pumps, and um, we used to, they used to get a check 
but most of them now just get direct uh, debt with the, you know, everything's paperless now. Yeah. They're getting rid of the checks. So most of them, I talk to them, and they get d direct direct debits every month into their account to pay for those uh, supplies. Right, so the pharmacies really don't have anything to do with that like they used to, all right? Thank you, okay. thank you very much. No. Oh, sorry, Are I you was finished? just gonna, no, I wasn't yet. He was oh, stealing my limelight. Like, fine. I mean, he's like, I was just like, oh my God, like, I'm not getting to talk. <laughs> Pop, him. Pop him on the head. Pop him there on the head. Go. She's <laughs> okay. Uh, so, sorry, I wasn't done. But anyways, so just wanted to let you know um, a little bit of work that Diabetes Canada does with um, kids. Um, we do have a kids camp that's in Huntsville, Ontario. Um, usually, in, not usually, right now Ontario has 7,000 children that are type 1. And uh, our camps are uh, July to August. Um, it's like any other summer camp. The additional piece, or we call it a medical camp actually. What it is is we want kids to come to our camp and learn to manage, to manage their diabetes. So as you know that type one kids, it's a 24 seven round the clock care for parents. And sometimes parents need that break or they also need some understanding on how they can help their children. But what we want to do is have these kids attend these camps. Um, it's a two-week program. The takeaways the kids get from this camp is they get the confidence because they might be the only child in school, so they don't have other kids that they can relate to and they can talk to. So this way, if they have those other kids, it's a confidence that they build up that, you know what, there's other kids out there that, might, that are in a similar position as I am, and so I can live my life with the type 1 diabetes and I can live it to the fullest. So that's one of the takeaways. The other things is um, we have... Um, they understand the management, so the parents don't have to be on their back. They know that how they need to administer the insulin, blood glucose testing, what they need to eat, because what we have is we have endocrinologists, pharmacists, nurses, nutritionists, dietitians. They are 24-7 round-the-clock care, making sure that they're having the right information they need. So they carry this, um, unfortunately, type 1 uh, diabetes for the rest of their lives, right? So, and one, some of our kids have been coming year after year because they love it and they become into leadership programs. So they help other kids. So it's been a very positive impact for kids with type one. Um, the only thing that Diabetes Canada, like we will never say no to any child that comes to the camp. Um, we've got great support from service clubs like yourself, Lions, We've got other service clubs that helps us. We've got corporations that help us. And so we make sure that these kids get the help because we'll never say no to eat any child that comes to this camp. Now, we do have an online registration form. So how it works is the parents fill it out, but sometimes um, they can't afford to send their kids to camp. So this is where my role comes in, where I go to service clubs and I request service clubs to help us. Maybe we can do a fundraising event, or maybe we can do it through a donation, anything that can help these kids. Um, so usually how it works is for camp, it's $4,300 for two weeks. And the subsidy is anywhere between $1,300 to $1,500. Um, so when I say $4,300, Maybe a family can only pay 500. So the difference is where I bring in 
you know, the money through an event or any fundraising or, again, alliance or anybody. So that's where we're always hoping that we get the help because that's where we need the most help. We've got the research side of diabetes, but our most help is needed with the kids. And so that's where we urge you to say, hey, you know, how can you help us? How can Lions support us? So in the past with the Lions, we've done fundraising, we've done barbecues, we've done fillet truck, we've done tons of events. Um, Fowler's Corners that I just passed, it, you know that, that Lions Club? Uh, what was the gentleman's name? The Fowler's Corner, he's the president. I, sorry? No. Larry, Larry, uh, he did the diabetes cruise for us last, this year, and they raised uh, $6,000, so they were able to send six kids. And these are local kids in Peterborough that need the help. So it's not just, um, I'm talking all over, but Ontario itself has 7,000 that need the help, right? So we're, that's where we urge you to say, how can you help us if there's anything we can do? Uh, one of the things you want to talk about is we're running, so just to let you know, November is our diabetes month. Is everybody aware of that, right? So, so what we've done at our pharmacies, uh, we have four pharmacies. He likes um, to talk. Diabetes Canada <laughs> sent us these blue circles. And what it is, is uh, we've created a tree at our locations. And um, it says, I am helping to end diabetes. And then you put your name in here. And it's a $2 donation that we request from our patients. And we just leave them on the counter with a poster. And if they fill their name in, they donate $2, we put it up on our tree, and that $2 is the monies that Kalpa was saying is going to contribute toward helping sending our local kids to these camps. So we're doing this at our pharmacies as we speak. Um, we're also raffling off uh, multiple gift baskets and all the monies that we collect from those initiatives will also go to Diabetes Canada to get the kids to camp. So this is called the Blue Circle Campaign, and it runs... Um, through the month of November. And if there's any support that your club can provide to us, Kalpa and I can leave these here. And if you are able to raise any funds for Diabetes Canada, Kalpa or myself, one of us can arrange to pick up any funds that you may collect as well. So yeah. if you could help us in that initiative, that would be wonderful. Can I get you to tell us which pharmacies? Yeah, I'll tell you the, so the from here, because I, I understand this always a logistic thing, um, our closest one is probably the one in Ennismore, all right, which I drove down from there today. It's about nine or ten minutes with no traffic, so it's not too far, but you don't have to physically come in there. If you collect the monies or whatever, I can even come one day on my way back and we can arrange something. So I don't, you don't have to physically come there. I know it's hard for people to drive out of their way when you live in a certain part of town. So if, if it comes to that, you can call Kalpa or myself. I'm going to give you folks all a calendar as well, so my number will be on there if you need to get a hold of us. All right, but that's just an initiative that we're doing locally at our four stores to get as many kids as possible from our greater Peterborough area to these camps. Yes? Can I get you to tell us the other three? Yeah. The reason yeah. I asked is that this is being recorded and it's sure. run on Friday. Absolutely. So you can go to the Buckhorn Pharmacy, you can go to the Ennismore Pharmacy, you can go to the Keen Drug Mart. We have one in Port Perry, which is obviously a little further. And we have a partner in one of our stores who has his own store at Sherbrooke Heights. He's also running the Blue Circle campaign. So you can go to that location as well. So there's actually five locations. All right. And if someone can't make it out, we'll try to get to them to collect any funds that may be raised as well. So we'll try to make it really easy for everyone.
All right, and we do appreciate and value your support. So thank you. That does bring this edition of Insight Peterborough to a close. Thank you so much for being with us. And I hope that you'll join us again next week. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.